back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Stuff Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, my guy, Alex Lott. And look, there's no theme to this show today. You know, everybody wants to try to fit all these players into a box, whether it's, you know, best NFC receivers or slept on running backs. We're, we're done with all these themes. We just want to start talking players, start talking takes, and let the actionable fantasy information flow out of us. So I'm excited. The Discord has some real momentum right now, Alex. And I know you, more than anyone else, are obsessed with these best ball drafts. <laughs> yeah, man, the Discord's a fun place to be. And as we get closer to the season, like big announcements, anybody watching this, anybody listening, that Discord that's in the link below is going to be the best resource. You can find this fantasy football season. Hop in there. It's absolutely free. Post your roster, post your trades you want to make. Ask any kind of question. Dynasty, redraft, doesn't matter. Steph and I are going to be in there along with everyone that's already in the community to give you feedback uh, and help you out with some of those decisions. So it's been a ton of fun so far. It's just going to continue to get better and better as we ramp up. And one more thing I want to say, Steph, you mentioned no theme on today's podcast. We'll get into some themes as we get closer to the season. You know, we'll have a sleepers episode. We'll have a, a fantasy MVPs episode, things like that. But something we're doing on our channel is every time we talk about a player, we are cutting that into a clip and posting it into a video draft guide. So if you actually go to our channel in YouTube, you can see um, one of the playlists is essentially draft kit for 2021. And if you want to look for a specific player and get our take on that player, all you have to do is go to that video playlist, find the guy you're looking for. That's a resource that we are working on. Uh, and it's only going to get more and more robust as we get closer to the season and continue to talk about more and more guys. We got a robust fantasy draft kit. We're going into these drafts going robust RB. It's a very robust <laughs> time of the year right now. Early July. Headlines are still trickling out. Some of them, and by some of them, I mean all of them, we're taking with a huge grain of salt. These guys aren't even wearing pads right now. But let's talk about some players that... I think are on everybody's mind. You know, if you played fantasy last year, you know about some of the names we're going to talk about today. And they're probably guys that you want or had on your rosters, whether you were trying to grab them off the waivers, they were a way too early pick in your drafts. Let's start though with a guy that was an upside running back in redraft leagues last year. A lot of people were skeptical about him as a rookie, and I'm seeing the redraft guys drag his name through the mud. Yeah, Steph, you're absolutely right. Cam Akers is a guy that we saw a very small sample size from last season, but he's currently going in that range that's like back of the first round, early second round. So if you do end up with a late first round pick in your draft, I think Cam Akers is a perfect guy to target, whether it be in the late first or early second. If you can come out um, of round one and two, if you start out in the 10, 11, or 12 spot with Cam Akers and Joe Mixon or, or Austin Eckler and Cam Akers or any combination of these backs, I think you are going to be absolutely set for some extreme success. And Akers is still only 21 years old. He's about to turn 22 for the 2021 season. Um, but we know what Sean McVay's offenses can look like in terms of a workhorse running back. We saw Todd Gurley have those insane 
RB1 seasons, the overall running back one with Sean McVay in LA. So I'm excited for Akers this year. You know, that sample size we talked about at the end of last year was the last four weeks of the regular season where he had 21 carries and three targets per game. He also saw 23 carries per game and two playoff appearances. So if that workload is any sort of sign of things that are to come in 2021, I think Cam Akers is as safe as they come with some upside as well. And the pushback that I'm getting, and I got it even on our live stream, shout out to our boy Anthony, sending us a question from a live stream. And that's, Alex and I are super pumped up. We did our first live stream. Uh, It was a full, you know, 12-team PPR mock draft on our channel the other day. Have plenty more of those to come. So like, subscribe, and stay tuned because we're going to be doing a lot more Q&As and live streams as the season goes on. And you know we're all about those mock drafts. But the pushback that I was seeing on our live stream was, well, isn't isn't Daryl Henderson, Darrell Henderson, however you say his name, isn't Henderson going to be taking away some volume from from Cam Akers and my thinking is no and and you know I'm extremely high on Cam Akers but when I look at Darrell Henderson I want to talk about him for a moment to me he's he's a poor man's Ronald Jones for for 2021 and what I mean by that is they're both these bursty running backs that don't necessarily get a lot of the high value touches they're not getting used on the goal line they're not necessarily used a ton in the passing game they got a similar breakaway run rate. Henderson had a 4.3%. Ronald Jones had 4.2%. So very similar as far as how often they're breaking away these chunk plays. Obviously, we know Ronald Jones has those 90-yard breakaway runs uh, in his wheelhouse. And then Henderson's 5'8", 208. Ronald Jones, 5'11", 205 pounds. So very similar physique-wise. Both run about 4'5", And they can have you know, these certain games where they're going to get maybe multiple targets and a touchdown or two, they have some handcuff upside at best when you're on a board in a, in a redraft league. But I say he's a poor man's Ronald Jones because he was less relied upon, only saw nine carries and 1.6 targets per game last year. And at least Ronald Jones averaged double digit carries and three targets. Now, I say all that to say, I want to make this comparison. I'm sure Daryl Henderson is going to have some random boom weeks when one of his, you know, eight to 12 carries goes to the house. But the team showed us, just like the team showing us with Ronald Jones, where look, he's going to have boom weeks. You don't know when they're going to come. The team showed us that they don't trust him to be the number one, that he's the handcuff. And with Daryl Henderson, he was 39th among running backs and weighted opportunities. And that puts in added premiums for carries in the red zone, targets. They don't use him as a pass catcher at all, Daryl Henderson. He averaged nine routes per game, 44th in the NFL in terms of routes run per game. He had a single three reception game the whole time Cam Akers was out last year. He didn't have more than two receptions in a Jared Goff, Sean McMay offense, even when he had the backfield to himself. So I just, I don't trust Daryl Henderson. I don't see him as a threat. He's a guy that I'm selling all shares of in Dynasty. It gets me more excited for Cam Akers. So the same way you're not going to fade Ezekiel Elliott because of Tony Pollard, the same way you're not going to fade Alvin Kamara because of Latavius Murray. That's how I'm viewing the Akers situation. It's funny because you say, do you think Daryl Henderson is going to get some work in this offense. He said, no, I'm not concerned about the work. I actually disagree with you that I think Henderson will see work in this offense, but I agree with you in the sense that I don't think it 
bothers my opinion of Cam Akers at all. Because if you look at the numbers last season, you mentioned like the eight, nine carries per game. I think that's going to hold constant this year. I mean, last year, Daryl Henderson saw 138 carries. He should be somewhere in that range. We're not going to see Cam Akers come out there and be the next Christian McCaffrey playing 90 plus percent of snaps. But if Daryl Henderson comes out and gets his 138 carries he saw last season, or even up to like 150, and Cam Akers just sees the work he got last year, plus the vacated work that Malcolm Brown is leaving behind, that leaves Cam Akers at 240 carries and 45 targets. That's Jonathan Taylor last season. So even if Daryl Henderson has the same exact role in this offense that he played last season, and all Akers does is add in that vacated workload for Malcolm Brown, you're getting JT level of volume in a Rams offense that should be pretty good. Great points. Great points there. And, and continuing this analogy with Ronald Jones, you know, he has Leonard Fournette to worry about. But in the case of Darrell Henderson, he has a true workhorse back that his team went out and, and drafted in the second round. And this is the LA Rams. This is a team notorious for trading away their first round pick. Akers was the guy they went out and circled was essentially their first pick in the 2020 draft. And they circled him to be a workhorse and the last six games just confirmed it. And Akers has been great since he entered the league. That's why we love him both in, in dynasty and redraft. He's, he carried his offense in college. The Rams knew what they were getting when they went out and selected him. Akers broke out in 2017 as an 18-year-old freshman with over 1,000 rushing yards. Again, as an 18-year-old freshman in the ACC in a Power 5 conference, like that's tremendous. He developed as a receiver every year until he declared early for the NFL. And he was responsible for 40% of Florida State's offensive production. That's a 90th percentile dominator rating among running back prospects courtesy of player profilers. So we know Akers is an elite prospect. I'm not saying he's an elite player quite yet, but I'm saying he's an elite prospect coming into the league. And Akers had a severe injury last year. He had a rib cartilage separation. And if that sounds painful to you, your rib cartilage separating from your rib cage, it's because it's extremely painful. It's it's not a casual injury that you can just bounce back from. It took him out for most of the season. And we saw he was slowly getting worked into that offense. So that took him out for much of his work of the year. What we saw at the end of the season is what he was always intended to be. Uh, his body had to adapt to the NFL. You know, and you, you said it. He was 21 years old last year. So he's had his growing pains becoming a pro athlete. And now he's ready to be unleashed in this offense. And, and I have him as a set it and forget it RB1 in redraft this year. Love stacking acres and another running back at the one-two turn. He's the perfect size-speed combo for running back. He was already seeing a 12% target share in college. We should expect him to be used even more in the passing game. That's probably the one, you know, red flag, if you want to call it that, based on what he did last year. But he has the college production. He has the draft capital. He has the measurables. His only question is that passing game usage. And at worst, we have Matt Stafford stepping in, who's going to help the offense. We've seen Matt Stafford feed the running back position through the air. We had Theo Riddick from 2015 to 2018 seeing 99, 67, 71, and 74 targets. And he just threw DeAndre Swift 57 passes as a rookie. So 
You got in the fact that the Rams' offensive line has improved. Their schedule's a little bit rough to start the year. Chicago, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay. But then after that, it's going to be smooth sailing for Akers and really all the Rams' pieces on offense because they play Arizona, Seattle, the Giants, the Lions, the Texans, and the Tennessee Titans after the first three weeks. So it's going to be a fun stretch. I've been starting these drafts with with Eckler and Akers. Feels like a slam dunk in redraft leagues right now. You get two league winning running back ones to start your draft. That's the dream. And Steph, you mentioned the offensive line. They actually graded third per PFF in 2020, which is fantastic. It's a huge bounce back versus where they were after 2019. And they're ranked as the eighth overall unit per PFF heading into 2021. So take that for what you will, whether um, you know you like pro football focuses rankings or not, but they're being graded highly and they made some significant improvements up front, which is just another reason to like Cam Akers. And really the upside with Akers is there for me because we've seen Sean McVay offenses have unlimited explosive upside. I mean, if you look at the Rams back in 2017, they were the number one scoring offense. In 2018, they were second. So two straight years of a top two scoring offense. In 2019, we see them drop down to 11th. And then last season, they were the number 23 scoring offense. So a pretty rough year with Jared Goff at quarterback. But now they're able to retool with the offensive line we talked about, with Matt Stafford coming in as quarterback, with Cam Akers shifting into this workhorse role. They bring in some extra tertiary receivers to help stretch the field of the draft. And they could be back to a a top 10 scoring team in 2021. So if the flashes we saw from Akers in 2020 um, are something that we liked, and we certainly did, I think the sky's the limit in 2021. Because if the total points that they are putting up increases like we think it's going to, and they're even a top half scoring offense, which I think you, I, and most other people would project them to be, I think the touchdown upside for Akers is well into the double digits, which is something that could take him way over the top and, and give him honestly top five upside in LA. The Rams on the biggest stage were giving Cam Akers over 21 touches per game. So just imagine if that plays itself out, he's going to be a workhorse. He's going to see all the touches we want him to see as far as red zone, goal line receptions, all of it. And he was an efficient runner, even as a rookie, dealing with injury in a shortened off season. You got to get excited for Cam Akers. But Alex, let's talk about a guy that we all need to adjust our mindset on. It happened. We, we fell into the trap as fantasy players. You see it play out in high-powered offenses. Their, their pieces get sometimes way overdrafted in some of these fantasy drafts. I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receivers this year. That's why we're getting DeAndre Swift and Miles Sanders criminally slept on in a lot of redraft circles right now. And it's why no one wanted to touch Leonard Fournette the year he was an RB1 in Jacksonville with over 100 targets. We got to let that go. And we got to move on from wherever his expectations were. I saw him going at the 105 in many leagues, many redraft leagues last year. And saw him going over Jonathan Taylor in rookie drafts. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I definitely fell into that trap a little bit. 
I think this year we may see this play out the exact same way with Rashad Bateman landing in Baltimore. It's probably a guy that we should all have some shares in if he is as good as he, he truly showed us in college. But for Clyde Edwards-Alaire right now, looking at 2021 drafts, the ADP, the player, the, the landing spot, all of that, separating that from where he's going right now in drafts, his current ADP is in the late second, early third round. That's that's the perfect range for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And that's why this season, with him getting pushed down draft boards, getting pushed into this early third round range, that's why we love the Darren Waller in the late second this year. That's why we like going wide receiver in the mid to late second round. So Because you can circle back in that deep tier of running backs. And we got guys like Miles Gaskin, who is receiving 14 carries and 4.2 targets per game. That's the same volume that Clyde Edwards-Alaire saw as a rookie in a Chiefs offense. And we're calling Gaskin a borderline or even sometimes a full-out workhorse back in the NFL. That's what Clyde Edwards-Alaire was. Now we have to adjust. We got to look at CEH with a level head. In his first year in the NFL, he was a jack-of-all-trades player. He wasn't necessarily exceptional in one facet of the game or another. He was well-rounded in all of them, but he wasn't as elusive on the ground as we thought he would be. He showed some burst on breakaway runs here or there, but overall he was not efficient on the ground last year. He was solid through the air. He was 14th amongst running backs in targets with 55. He commanded an 11% target share and was also 7th in yards per reception. And he was shafted on the goal line last year too. So while the snaps were limited at times due to mistakes, due to Le'Veon Bell, due to getting game scripted out when the Chiefs' offensive line started crumbling and they just asked Mahomes to throw the ball 50 times in a game, through all of that, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was, as a rookie in a shortened offseason, an RB2 in fantasy football. With the first-round investment from the best offense in football, with an upgraded offensive line with Orlando Brown coming over from Baltimore, a proper offseason camp in OTAs. If Clyde Edwards-Alaire's stats, his year-long stat line, improves at all in just one metric, whether it's efficiency as a runner or as a passer, whether it's the volume going up because he's playing more snaps, he develops his route running capabilities in year two, if he gets way more touchdown volume this year because now they're going to trust him on the goal line, they want to get their first round pick ramped up in their offense, or if, God forbid, all of these metrics improve, efficiency, volume, touchdowns, we're looking at not only a super high floor, but also a super high ceiling running back, especially if Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey miss time. So I'm in on CEH this year. He's the perfect RB2. I agree with you. I mean, give me the RB1, the clear-cut RB1 for the best offense in football all day long. Um, He was actually much better last year than people do give him credit for, and you outlined it with, you know, the volume he was getting. But efficiency-wise, he was was okay. You know, it wasn't great. But I think the reason that people are, are fading CEH is they just fall into this fallacy of what you wanted, your expectations versus outcome. Like we talk about Josh Jacobs, terrible season last year. Ezekiel Elliott, terrible season. Both of those guys are top 10 running backs. But the reason you're you're looking at them with that frame of mind is just because you wanted them to be top five guys. And with CEH, he was being drafted the second Damian Williams opted out. 
CEH was supposed to be a top three running back. And that was just an unrealistic expectation for a rookie. And we fell into the trap. I fell into the trap. If I would have had a higher draft pick in a couple of my leagues, I probably would have taken him. Fortunately, I didn't. But he didn't crush you. I mean, he was still an RB2 on the year. And honestly, if we look at the situation in Kansas City, it's only gotten better for 2021. CEH has passed his rookie season. He gets a full offseason without as many of the COVID protocols, really gets to work in this offense. He's understanding the system a little bit better now. Now, Damian Williams, I know Damian Williams was gone last season anyway, but he's still not a problem because he went to, I believe, Chicago. Um, Sammy Watkins is gone, vacates about 55 targets. I know Le'Veon Bell sucked and he came in halfway through the season, but Le'Veon Bell vacates 63 carries and 17 targets. So if anything, I think the absolute floor for CEH in 2021 is the 14 carries and four targets a game that you mentioned that he had last season. And honestly, if I was a betting man, I would bet on both the carries and the targets bumping up a little bit. So honestly, CEH, he should be fine from a volume perspective. I really think so. The carries are going to be there. The yards per carry with that O-line, bringing in Orlando Brown, bringing in Joe Tooney. This unit is ranked seventh right now per PFF heading into the 2021 season. So with that offensive line, the efficiency should be there. The volume should be there. The tough thing with CEH is those touchdowns. And this is where you kind of have to pick a side. It's like, did CEH only score five total touchdowns last season because he doesn't have a nose for the end zone and he can't get it done around the goal line? Or did he just get bad breaks? And should we see some positive regression in the touchdown category? And to me, I think it's the second option there. I think he is going to see some positive regression in an offense that's pretty much a lock to be a top three scoring offense, their running back should be scoring more than five total touchdowns. That's going to happen both on the ground and through the air. CEH had only one rushing touchdown inside the 10 last season. Just for reference, like Jeff Wilson had six rushing touchdowns inside the 10. CEH had one. They they didn't trust CEH. Wayne Gallman had they six rushing touchdowns. Yeah, AP had seven rushing touchdowns. I remember several games, CEH just kind of, you're right, just kind of crumbling behind that offensive line, and they kind of moved away from him at a couple of different points. So I believe that CEH is going to get another opportunity to be that goal line back, and with the upgrades they've made on the offensive line, he's going to have better efficiency. So I do think the rushing touchdowns should go up in 2021. I think there's some upside there. And then if we look at the receiving touchdowns, the Chiefs barely threw to the running back near the goal line last season. If we look back at 2018, there were 13 receiving touchdowns by running backs for the Chiefs. In 2019, only five receiving touchdowns by running backs. And last year, only two. So even, you know, the 13 was Kareem Hunt's best season, great receiving back. So maybe they don't get up to that ridiculous 13 receiving touchdowns to running backs. But even if they go from two back up to the five that they saw in 2019, that should be an extra touchdown or two, maybe even three for CEH through the air. So if he goes from the five total touchdowns he saw last season up to eight, up to 10, that could be the difference in him being, you know, a low end RB2 to being that RB1 that you're that you're drafting him to be. And going as the RB15 right now, if he does end up as a top 10 guy, that's a perfect return on value in the back of the second, early third round. The ceiling will forever be capped with CEH just because of, his measurables, I believe. Alex, you can tell me if this is a hot take. But I, I don't think we'll ever see him creep back into the top seven running backs in the NFL. Even if he goes bananas this year with, let's say, 15 touchdowns, 
But will people go back to the well with him knowing that he's undersized, right. knowing that the game scripts can be really negative towards CEH when the Chiefs just want to pass the ball a billion times a game, especially if they bring in some other offensive weapons in the draft next year. It's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how the CEH values change year to year. He did do it in college. I mean, at, at LSU in that national championship season with Joe Burrow and company who are passing the ball a ton like we expect the Chiefs to do. 17 total touchdowns and 6.6 yards per carry. So he has a nose for the end zone, obviously doing it at the college level. Um, is very different than at the NFL level. But you'd think in this explosive spread Chiefs offense, he would have the ability to find the end zone. And, and I think you're right. I think it's we're going to be too excited about these athletes every single year. You think about the Jonathan Taylors. You think about the Saquon Barkleys, Cam Akers, guys like that with those explosive measurables are more exciting than a guy like CEH. So you're right. I think the hype around athleticism and around measurables might not get us to pushing CEH back into that consensus top seven running backs consistently year in and year out. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to finish there um, on a season by season basis, just because he's not being drafted as a top seven guy. It isn't, isn't a red flag for me. If anything, it's just making him more of a value in these drafts. A hundred percent. And you drove home the perfect point. We got to remember this year that the running back position is deeper than it's been over the last three or four seasons because of the talent that came in last year. It's a whole new tier that's developed that didn't even exist. This Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, even Travis Etienne, Chris Carson, that tier is really rounding itself out where you can get strong weekly starter RB2s in the third round, whereas that just wasn't happening last season, especially when you get into a running back hungry draft. But Alex, let's transition over here to the wide receiver position. We've talked about two of these young ascending running backs today. Let's talk about another ascending guy, and it's Justin Jefferson. He's a guy that I've seen overdrafted in a lot of places because the hype is sky high, but it's for the right reasons. And I think if we break down the situation and what we can expect for Justin Jefferson this year, I, I still find him as pretty appealing in you know the late second, early third round. And that just adds to this the strategy we're talking about of going running back you know, and then either tight end or wide receiver and then going running back again in the third, like we just talked about with CEH. So Alex, what do you expect this year for Justin Jefferson? Here's the thing. I love Justin Jefferson as a player. I think he's going to be one of these guys that's one of the top wide receivers in the NFL for the next decade. But I'll be honest with you. I'm not in on him at his current ADP. Right now he's going as the wide receiver eight. And last season, in that incredible rookie year, he finished as the wide receiver six. So he's essentially being drafted close to his perceived ceiling. And that's kind of like the narrative I've had for the past couple of weeks with, with JJ. But I'll be honest with you, Steph. As I was preparing some notes, as I was preparing some takes on Justin Jefferson, I'm having a little bit of a Miles Gaskin moment. And if you remember on our pod Last week with Miles Gaskin, I was like, oh, I'm out on current ADP. But the more I dug into a situation, I'm like, you know what? He's actually a pretty good value. I'm going to start taking more Miles Gaskin. And that's kind of how I feel about JJ. 
I came into this expecting to be out on him at his ADP. When I hear Justin Jefferson as the wide receiver eight, it just feels a little bit too rich for me. But the more I looked into the numbers, I realized I actually really like JJ for 2021. I think he has an incredibly high floor. And initially I thought, okay, he was wide receiver six last season. Everything went right for him. So that's essentially a ceiling, but it's not. I mean, this, this Vikings team was still only 27th in the NFL in pass attempts last season. Yes, I know they want to run the ball, but if their pass volume goes up at all, you know those targets for Justin Jefferson are going to go up as well because they essentially funnel all of their volume through two guys, through Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson in the passing game. So when I look at JJ's rookie season, I look at it in kind of two different phases. First is the first eight games, and second is the last eight games. And in the first eight games, he saw five and a half targets a game. And he did have a couple breakout games in, in those first eight weeks as well, which was fantastic to see. That made him a very popular waiver wire target there early in the year. So five and a half targets a game over the first half. But in the second half, he had over 10 targets per game. And this is on a Vikings team. Again, that's 27th in the league in pass attempts. So to me, with Justin Jefferson, if he's seeing eight, nine, 10 targets a game in an offense with a fairly efficient quarterback in Kirk Cousins, I think he really does have upside to return on that wide receiver eight ADP right now. I think the floor is high because he is going to be an integral piece of their passing offense. And I think the ceiling is actually there as well if we see this Vikings defense struggle again in 2021. A.J. Brown and Justin Jefferson and to an extent too, DK Metcalf. If you like AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, you have to like Justin Jefferson. Whether you're, you know, upset that he's not this like physical freak, six two, two twenty like Brown and Metcalf, you have to like Justin Jefferson. You just accept reality that that Jay Jets is good. Because when you look at his situation, it's very similar to AJ Brown. It's a run-first team where there's a known commodity, highly skilled receiver at number two who's aging out. Both of those teams, the Titans and the Vikings, went out and addressed their defense in the offseason. The Vikings still have Anthony Barr and Daniel Hunter. They went nuts and signed eight defensive free agents, including Patrick Peterson and a bunch of other very strong defensive playmaking veterans that can honestly, this defense could do a full 180 in one year based on the eight defensive free agents that they signed. So when I look at, at AJ Brown, it's the same thing. So if, to me, it's like, if you're high on AJ Brown, you have to be high on Justin Jefferson and where we're drafting him in leagues right now is for him to be our wide receiver one in redraft this year. Jefferson saw a true alpha target share in year one he was used in every single area of the field defenders could not stop him with the ball in his hands he was eighth in yards after the catch last year was super efficient as well was seeing a lot of downfield targets he was top five in yards per outrun yards per target he was third in receiving yards we all know about him breaking that receiving yards record that randy moss had with over 1400 yards He's been great since he stepped on the field. And to your point, Alex, those first eight games, that told a different story. But you got to remember, 
he was quiet through week one and week two, but was still seeing like a 70, 80% snap share week three. So it literally only took two weeks for Jay Jets to get warm to the NFL. Goes bananas against the Titans. <laughs> Oddly enough, the Titans. Seven receptions for 175 yards and a touchdown, 30.5 fantasy points. He was the biggest waiver rush of all time in many leagues. I could go through all of his 2020 stats. We already know it at this point. It was great. He, he's raw, and, and he's going to be relied upon by his offense. You look across from him in the slot, or maybe if you got Jay Jets in the slot, you look over to X. Adam Thielen, who's almost 31, was already out-targeted by Jefferson last year. Yes, he'll still be a threat in the red zone, but at best he stays healthy and, and plays the Tyler Lockett, Julio Jones, you know, this, this strong – Kind of boom bust wide receiver two that we know is good. And he can still play that role. And Jefferson can still have plenty of targets to soak up. Because apparently Irv Smith can't block. So he's not on the field enough to be a threat. Which is just absolutely devastating for me. Because <laughs> I have a lot of shares of Irv Smith. It's absolutely brutal. BC Johnson, Chad Beebe. <laughs> they got in the fifth round. Draft Amir Smith-Marset. Who I actually really like in some deep formats. I just don't see a way outside of health with this current roster that Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson doesn't repeat at least a 25% target share. And even in a low pass volume offense, that floor gets boosted up so high that even if the efficiency drops, even a minor drop in efficiency can be made up for with that target share. God forbid if Justin Jefferson gets better in year two <laughs> or if, Dalvin Cook or Adam Thielen goes down or he goes from seven to nine touchdowns that more than makes up for any decrease in receiving volume when as a rookie he was already a wide receiver one with the low volume last year the Vikings should be fighting for a playoff spot with the you know expanded playoff games they're gonna need to rely on Justin Jefferson plain and simple so I'm fine with AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, or Justin Jefferson as my wide receiver one this year when I'm drafting at that 2-3 turn, especially if I know the league that I'm in values their wide receivers. Like if you're seeing Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams go in the first round, you know that some of those wide receiver names are going to start flying. So look, when you're there, when you're actually on the clock, try to grab the the last one available from that A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Justin Jefferson tier or or go Darren Waller in that range. But lately, I've been debating Jay Jets a lot more at that draft spot. I do have to talk a little bit about some of the risk associated with J.J. And to your point, I think he is in that tier with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, which you honestly convinced me of um, before the show and just now. So <laughs> thank you for, for rising me on J.J. a little bit. But I have to at least address the risk that is out there because yes, they were bottom part of the league in the past attempts last season, as we've mentioned several times. But if you do break down the defensive numbers last year, they were 29th in scoring defense, giving up 30 points per game in 2019. They were fifth in scoring defense, giving up only 19 points per game. So with the upgrades they made on defense, Dalvin Tomlinson, Sheldon Richardson, Patrick Peterson, several other guys, if Xavier they even woods, yeah, if they even bridge that gap and they're in the mid-20s in terms of points allowed per game, to me, that just signals that they're going to continue to be towards the bottom of the league in pass attempts. There's no reason for me to believe 
that they're going to come out and suddenly start slinging the ball with Kirk Cousins because this whole offense is blueprinted on running the ball through Dalvin Cook. And that's likely going to be what continues in 2021. So if the volume stays at a similar level, I think Justin Jefferson should see the same target volume that he had as a rookie, or it might even go up a little bit because we did mention the splits between the first half and second half of the season. So maybe he's getting, you know, eight targets per game on the full season. That's great. I think the target volume there would be plenty for Justin Jefferson to have a good year. But the other concern is the touchdowns from Kirk Cousins. He threw a ridiculous career high 35 touchdowns last season. And I expect that to come down. Kirk Cousins is not a 35 touchdown a season guy. So to me, that's going to continue to be his career high. And even if he comes down to 30 touchdowns, which would still be a fantastic season, it makes me wonder what the upside really is for Jay Jets and if he can get to double digits. I certainly think he can, but I think that seven touchdown range is probably where he's going to live for the next couple of years, as long as they're blueprinted on running the football as often as they do. And lastly, it's just that efficiency piece. So if the volume is similar, if the touchdown upside is similar, the last piece we have to look at is the efficiency. And you highlighted several categories where JJ was just an absolute monster as a rookie. And I think he's a fantastic player. So there's no reason to believe he can't repeat or improve a lot of those statistics in 2021. But I did some research And I found all the players over the last 10 seasons that have had over 100 targets in a season, a 70% catch rate or higher, and 15 yards per catch or higher. So that's 100 targets, a 70-plus catch rate, and 15 yards per catch or higher. In the last 10 years, only three guys have done that. It was Justin Jefferson last season. It was Chris Godwin in his 2019 breakout season and Tyreek Hill back in 2017. So there are only three instances where we have seen the efficiency tied with the volume that Justin Jefferson was able to put up last season. So that's a red flag for me, just in the sense that like if history tells us anything, it's that it was a truly historical year for Jay Jets. And there's no reason to believe that that's not just the player he is. Maybe he will rewrite that record and, Five years from now, he'll do it another five times. But if I was betting, I would bet on the efficiency coming down a little bit, the touchdowns staying the same, and the volume maybe bumping up a little bit, which does put him right in the range where he's being drafted. But I do think there's some risk involved just because of the way that the Vikings run this offense um, and the low pass volume that goes around there in Minnesota. Yeah, there's certainly a path to the downside that you can kind of strain together, right? Like Good path for the upside too, though. Good path for the upside as well. 100%. It's, you know, A.J. Brown, the same situation, right? He had that monster year, and then it was injuries, right? Or or in Jay Jett's situation, maybe it's not injury. Maybe it's that the defense improves, the pass volume goes down. Now he has number one corners posted on him every single game, whereas maybe last year it was kind of breaking up Thielen versus Jefferson because he, you know, it took him a good, you know (laughs) – three weeks to break out. <laughs> I, I see the path of the downside too, but you got to take a shot for a guy that could improve from last year. And again, with that downside, like the downside is a wide receiver too, honestly. Like if he stays healthy, he's going to be a wide receiver too or better. And honestly, if you're looking at that late second round range, if you can get a guy that you know is 
almost bust proof like worst case scenario he's still going to be usable and best case scenario he pushes you over the top for a league winner kind of like a ceh like he has a high floor but he also does have that upside at the running back position in that same range those are the kind of guys you're looking for late round two early round three okay point great point now let's wrap up the show with a slightly different take here. We're, we're not going to do a player breakdown. I want to talk about quarterback draft strategy in, in 2021 redraft and what you found in these single QB leagues, you know, for the rosters that you've done, whether it's, you know, on underdog doing best ball, whether it's in mock drafts with our guys down in the discord. Again, if you guys want to join the conversation with us, hit that link down below in the description. But Alex, what's your approach to the QB position this season? It's very similar to what it's been for the last 10 years, Steph. And that is late quarterback, man. Late quarterback just makes too much sense. And it's no different this year because in these one quarterback leagues, there is no scarcity at the quarterback position at all. That makes them far less valuable. When you think about it, if if there's, you know, we'll say the average league size is 12. 12 teams in your in your fantasy league there's 32 starting quarterbacks in the nfl each and every week aside from bye weeks but there's much more than 12 quarterbacks that are going to give you value on a week in and week out basis so because of that it means all the teams in your league unless someone there's always that one guy that hoards all the quarterbacks but everyone should be able to get a piece of that weekly upside at the quarterback position and get someone who can put up solid production. We see year in and year out the different kinds of quarterbacks that can give you weekly upside. I mean, we've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick be the QB one on a get on any given week in a good matchup. We've seen Daniel Jones have multiple top two, top three quarterback weeks already in his young career. And even if you look at the the full scope of the season, unless you are that record-breaking Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson type of guy, typically you're just not getting a lot of value above replacement at the quarterback position. If we look at last season, Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson put up four more fantasy points per game than Gardner Minshew. Like Justin Herbert, this amazing breakout season, Lamar Jackson, this cheat code rushing quarterback, four more fantasy points per game. Then Gardner Minshew. Now that is four points per game, but Gardner Minshew's free. He's sitting on waiver wires and you can plug him in on any given week and probably get 18 points and be fine. Where Lamar Jackson's a guy you're taking in round four where you could have had an upside running back or an upside receiver that's making a difference for you week in and week out. So that's the problem with drafting the early quarterback. You're typically not getting value above replacement on guys that are just sitting out on the waiver wire. Last season, 14 quarterbacks we're within three fantasy points per game from the quarterback 12, Matt Ryan. So that means there's essentially like 25, 26 guys out there that are all within two, three points per week of being a QB one. And to me, that's not the same kind of difference that a Miles Sanders is over a handcuff. You know what I mean? So to me, like I'm taking Miles Sanders and Justin Fields over Lamar Jackson and James Conner all day. And that's kind of how you have to think about it. You have to look at the guys that are available when you're taking that early quarterback and look at the guys that are available when you're taking a late quarterback and just think like in a trade, which side would I rather have? 
and start to move in that direction. So this year, it's no different for me. There are plenty of upside quarterbacks late in these drafts, which we'll continue to get into as we talk about our strategy in more depth. Um, but yeah, man, the late round quarterback, round eight, nine, 10, even sometimes in the double digit rounds is a smash for me in 2021. Yeah. I, I If anyone who's watched the show since 2019 knows we've been all about the late round QB, last year's targets work. You can stream. You can stream all season and you listen to us in the season, hear our starts of the week, and you will be smashing Derek Carr in good matchups. Ryan Tannehill Mitchell Trubisky. was... Mitch Trubisky, like we are getting 20, 25, 30 point weeks out of some of these guys that are sitting on your waiver wire. So to me, it's like, why am I spending draft capital at a position that I could probably stream each week and be just fine? Now this year, I do think things are are shifting a little bit. I'm not going to overcorrect course and, and pull the trigger too early on Mahomes, Allen, Kyler, Russell Wilson, Tannehill, Stafford, Brady, all these names that are quality NFL quarterback names. But I do think we are starting to see things shift. And this year, more than past years, I'm more willing to grab a Justin Herbert in the sixth round or a Jalen Hurts in the late seventh, early eighth. Because it's not like in past years anymore where there's one quarterback over 25 points per game and the rest are at 20 or less, right? We saw that with Lamar Jackson, he broke the QB position, had 28 fantasy points per game. That season in 2019, no one else was over 22 fantasy points per game. In 2018, we had Mahomes breaking out for his MVP season, no one else even close to him. In 2017 and 2016, no quarterback averaged over 25 fantasy points per game. Then last year, We had three starting quarterbacks average over 25 points per game with a bunch of guys in the 24-point range. Could that have been because of, you know, COVID and the lack of preparation causing defenses to be less prepared? We also saw a bump in points scored in passing production during the lockout year as well. Maybe that's all this is, but based on the influx of quarterback talent in the draft, the plethora we now have of these mobile, hyper-efficient passers that have come into the league and are now hitting their stride, I'm actually okay to ride this wave when we've seen all these young QBs breaking out over the place lately, from Lamar Jackson to Mahomes. We also had Kyler, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson. We could be seeing Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance break into this tier as soon as 2022, just a year from now, and we're, we're talking about our draft strategies, like we could be talking about those three in the same tier. So I think in 2021, there's, there's a solid top seven quarterbacks that we project to be difference makers for your roster. And that's actually a lot more than most seasons, even without Deshaun Watson, assuming he's not playing football this year. So that top tier, it's Mahomes, Allen, Kyler, Lamar, Dak, Wilson, Herbert. And with there being so many of these difference makers, right, more than we've had previously, that can go for 35-plus fantasy points on any given week, I think you can actually give your roster a weekly disadvantage if you don't grab one of the top guys and just rely on a streamer. Now, I'm still fine, to your point, with the, you know, Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, strategy last year or you know the year prior it was 
Gardner Minshew, Jameis Winston stack, and Winston threw for 5,000 yards. He returned on that investment. But a few years ago, you would have been fine with a weekly Drew Brees or Matt Ryan type as your set-it-and-forget-it starter. I don't think that's going to give you the juice anymore. So at the end of the day, I think it's really for every fantasy player, knowing where the values are, knowing where you have your tier breaks in these quarterbacks. For me, this year, it's, it's Jalen Hurts. If Jalen Hurts hits the eighth round, I'm hitting draft, and that's it. That's the rule. It doesn't matter who else is on the board. It doesn't matter my roster construction. If I'm sitting there without a QB and Hurts is there on the eighth, I'm taking him every time. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and you know, some people will disagree on Hurts. We can have a full show breaking down Jalen Hurts, I'm sure. But this <laughs> year, the the best rosters that I've put together in, in these mock drafts, both live and simulated – the best approach to me is to kind of treat the quarterback position like the tight end position. You know, grab one of the top guys and, you know, that fifth, sixth, seventh round or just punt the position until, you know, the late double-digit rounds and then grab two of them like a Justin Fields-Cam Newton combo. You know, knowing that, look, Cam Newton's probably not going to be the starter for the entirety of the season, but when he was the focal point of that offense, he was putting up fantasy numbers. Yeah, you can pick them up on waivers after your draft. And honestly, like I'm with you in the sense that I, that mid-round quarterback, there is a value pocket for me this season. I know I just talked about wanting to go late quarterback, and typically that's the strategy I take. But for you, you said it was Hurts in round eight. For me, it's Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Right now, both of them are going mid-round five. But if either of those two guys fall to round six, I'm drafting them every single time because – the difference makers to me are the guys that have the massive rushing upside and that can be drafted in the middle rounds. Like even a Patrick Mahomes going in round three, that's really hard to return on that value. But a Lamar or a Kyler, if they make it to round six and they can rush for over a thousand yards, add some touchdowns on the ground as well, they definitely could return on that value and give you that positional advantage each and every week. That's the Odell Beckham, Kareem Hunt, Brandon Ayuk tier. And I think Lamar... And Kyler arguably are going to be a bigger difference maker for my roster. And the real value above replacement there can be illustrated by Lamar Jackson's record-breaking MVP season. He averaged six more fantasy points per game than the quarterback two. So even if the guy you were playing against had the second best quarterback, you were getting six more points per game from Lamar Jackson. He averaged 12 more points per game than the quarterback 12 in that season. So he was giving you a tremendous positional advantage that is the kind of upside worth drafting early in those middle rounds at the quarterback position and I'm not saying you need like a Kyler or a Lamar uh, to put up an insane record-breaking year but if they can get close having one of those guys in round six with the rushing upside is worth the shot and I agree with you there is that top seven this season but for me and my rankings how I'm evaluating these guys Lamar and Kyler are the two I'm smashing in round six and to your point, if I don't if I don't get one of those two, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna take a Justin Fields and a Trevor Lawrence or a you know a Joe Burrow and a Trey Lance later on. Yeah, and it gets even more important to go quarterback early when you get into some formats like standard leagues, like half point PPR leagues, even you know, fourteen and sixteen team leagues where waivers mm-hmm. are gonna be a lot more shallow. I think this year, more than others, you need a good quarterback in in some of these leagues. And the whole mindset here on quarterback, when there's only one of them you have to start, is you want to shoot for upside more than anything else. Whether you do get that top seven QB early and you go Alex's route, 
with the Lamar, Kyler, or you go my route with the Hurts. Like either way, we're shooting for upside there. But whether you do that or not, or you know, you wait until the twelfth round to take a quarterback, you want to give yourself the opportunity to turn a late round pick into a league winning pick. And and maybe you can get there with Tom Brady this year. You know, maybe Rodgers comes back and repeats his, his MVP performance last year. Maybe Matt Stafford explodes in, in this new Rams offense. I'm sure they're all going to give you high floors and they're going to have boom weeks in the right matchups. But you can find Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, names on the waiver wires that's going to give you the same weekly output. You know, we, we know what teams will put offenses into into boat race game scripts these high scoring games we know what teams have bad defenses during the season we can even use vegas over underlines to get us you know 80 percent of the way there i mean last year we had mitch trubisky and even like nick mullins as like desperation one week plugins but I think this year, if you don't get one of those top guys, you got to swing for the fences with a player that's value is depressed because of the unknowns. And those to me, that tier is Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Tua. Um, in recent mocks, I've been going with like Trevor Carson Wentz, right? So I get the upside that Trevor Lawrence is all he's cracked up to be. And he's a used a ton in RPOs by Urban Meyer. And he's a huge rushing upside or that Carson Wentz, can somehow repeat that that magical 2017 to 2019 stretch, right? Or maybe Justin Fields and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick plays the Chargers in week one. Should be a really fun game from a game script and point scoring perspective. Love to throw in Fitzmagic week one. See if I can survive until Fields becomes the starter. You know, and, and, and same thing if you go Lance and Cam. So don't waste a draft pick on these low upside quarterbacks. Don't, for the love of God, don't draft Big Ben. Don't draft Jared Goff. Don't draft Teddy Bridgewater. Don't draft Matt Ryan. They'll, they'll all end up back on the waivers in a couple weeks. You're better off going Zach Wilson over one of those guys just to mm-hmm. beat everyone in your lead to the waiver wire if Wilson does end up looking good for you know the first two weeks of the season. Same could be said for Mac Jones once we're – in the swing of things, now the Patriots start losing games. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel for Cam Newton. That's the time to scoop up Mac Jones. So you got to shoot for upside. It's deeper than years past. There's value pockets for sure. And I, I think that's one thing for every player, fantasy gamer, to decide for themselves. You know, who's to say we're right and wrong about our evaluations of Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, for you, it may be Josh Allen. Maybe you're all in on Josh Allen, and you just set that threshold to where if Josh Allen falls to the to, you know back of the fourth round, I'm s- scooping him up every time. But follow us in the Discord if you need help. If you're on the clock making these decisions, you can join the conversation, join the party with us. Always happy to give feedback on trades. Dynasty trades are heating up right now. We got startups in there that you can play against Alex and I in fantasy football. But I think that's it. A like and a sub, always appreciated. Alex, anything else to say before we sign off? Yeah, just want to reiterate what you said about the Discord staff. It's just going to keep ramping up as we get close to the season. Hit that link in the description and keep following along as we get closer to kickoff. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.